I uh, want to ask you to be in Matthew 28 and also Matthew chapter 10. Uh, but before we go to prayer or, or go to um, uh, uh, the sermon today, uh, we want to take some time to pray for somebody. And it's Ryan uh, Fontania. And Ryan is uh, going to be going, from my understanding, to I think Afghanistan. Is that right? Uh, Ryan, where are you at? Would you stand up right now? I know you're over here somewhere. And, uh, oh, there you are, right here, man. And we want to, we want to, man. But Ryan, we want to pray for you right now. He is a, a CB in the Navy, and we'll be heading out. And this is uh, not, ne not next week, but the week after he'll be going. He's married, uh, and so we want to pray for him and his wife, Chelsea. But let's just lift him up right now. Uh, Father, we praise you and thank you for men like Ryan that want to take a stand for you and uh, want to serve our country. And God, I pray that he will find himself doing both when you take him uh, to this place. But I ask for you to put your hands of protection upon him, surround him, cause him, Lord, to experience things that would actually build him up and not tear him down. And may he uh, uh, find you close to him and, and drawing him closer and closer to you. And may he affect other lives in a positive way. But please, again, God, bring him home safe to Chelsea. And, and comfort her during this time and the family. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, let's let Ryan know how much we appreciate him. Yeah. Wow. Hey, uh, a couple quick thoughts, and I need to get in the sermon, but I got to say one thing. I walked in the room and said, man, this place is packed. And then I didn't realize our fifth and sixth graders were sitting over there. Did you see how many fifth and sixth graders we have? Uh, that's just, that ministry is going off the charts because you need to understand that it's real ministry in there. Those kids are studying the word, they're journaling, uh, they're, they're asking deep questions, they're witnessing. We've had three different fifth graders get in trouble for witnessing on their campus. Uh, you know, I, that's like, wow. And, and uh, last uh, uh, Friday night, they had uh, eight decisions for Christ and it's just going on and it, it really is amazing. So it's a great ministry. Uh, the other thing I want to tell you, here's the, I want to tell you a secret. You ready? Uh, some of you don't realize and, and maybe we shouldn't tell everybody, but we have this thing called a parking lot on the backside. And uh, the reason I'm telling you, I heard about people going, I can't find a parking place. Well, I can tell you there are parking places back there. And if you have children and you park back there, it's actually quicker to drop off your kids. So um, I, I, anyway, just so you know, there is more parking in the back. And I think that's worth telling when I heard about people double parking and going on the dirt. And, anyway, all right. And if you want to park on the dirt, go for it. But uh, um, so I want to let you know that. The other thing I want to let you know is I just got back from Dallas, Texas. Uh, I had an amazing time back there. And what happened is I flew into Dallas on Friday and I preached at a men's conference for, you ready for this? They're called Crossroads Christian Church in Dallas, Texas. And uh, they call themselves Crossroads Southwest and call us Cro Crossroads West. And uh, they're, so they're a sister church of ours. But the uh, pastor of the church is Barry Cameron, the man who wrote the ABCs of Finance along with other books. And he has been teaching for years. The idea of handling your finances in a godly way. So his church is really bought into debt-free living. And, and his church is, has a desire to live that out too. So what happened is they, four years ago, built a building actually bigger than this with the support facilities on it. They bought 146 acres of land. 146. We have 55. If that tells you, they have 100 more acres than us. And in December of this year, they paid off everything. They're totally debt-free. Now, isn't that amazing? Uh, and, and, and they're doing amazing things for God. Well, 
Barry was telling me how they literally paid everything off in their debt free. So imagine this. They've already decided to build a gym. Uh, for $10 million, they're going to build a gym. They've already paid cash for it. It's already paid for. The contractor has to fulfill it now. In September, they're going to build a family life center. They've already got ready to pay cash for that. They're not going to even have a building program because people are just giving faithfully to God. Well, then they found out this fall that on the backside of their 146 acres, there's natural gas. And, and it's a good thing. It's an area they weren't even planning on using. So they just signed the papers. They're guaranteed in the next two years to get a minimum of $6 million. Isn't that something? And that's the minimum. They may go as high as $60 million. Aren't you glad they're a sister church? <laughs> I said, boy, we want to be close. you know. And, uh, but it, it's an amazing time. And I preached for their men on Friday night. 55 men came forward and made decisions for Christ. And uh, it was incredible. The next day, five guys came up. It's, God's doing a work there, and, and it's incredible. And we love watching God work all across the country. Well, uh, as we get ready to dig into this time, I want us to pray. But let me tell you what we're talking about. We're talking about level four living. And we're going to really get into the meat of it right now. But you need to understand what that means if you haven't been with us. Level one is when someone is exploring what it means to be a Christian. They may believe in God. They may not. They may believe in Jesus. They may not. But they're just deciding, is this really something I should invest my life in? And lots of people attend church living at level one. Level two is when I actually say, yes, I want this. I want Jesus as Savior and Lord. I want to live this life. And it's called the conversion level. Level one's exploration. This is conversion. And by the way, this probably, I'm not trying to be uh, 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 condescending. I want to just say it. It, it. The bottom line is, for conversion to happen, conversion must happen. In other words, a change takes place. You're not the same as when you're down there. And the change takes place by the power of the Holy Spirit upon a believing heart that is in love with God and you become transformed in this transformational relationship with Jesus. Then you enter level three where you're connecting with God. And we're going to talk a lot about how to connect with him through Bible study, through prayer, through meditation. Uh, and how do you deepen that connection? And then level four is where we want everybody to be. This is not perfection. This is commitment. This is where you literally say, man, yes, Lord. It's not my will, Lord, but your will be done. It's, I may not be perfect and I may stumble, but my desire is to follow you, Jesus, in a true, committed way. And so what I want to do is I want to say, Lord, I may not be perfect, but take me. I'm available. Whatever you tell me to do, I'll do. And you're level four the minute you say you want to do that. It's not an issue of maturity. The bottom line is you don't even have to grow very much to get here. You just have to say, I love God with all my heart, mind, and soul. And you end up living the life the life you were always meant to live. You end up experiencing God in amazing ways. And that's what God wants for you. And Father, that's what we want for us. And I ask right now that your Holy Spirit come. And God, you stir in our hearts and you open our minds and teach us these things. And God, as much as you can, remove me from this situation. And Jesus, I pray the most penetrating part of today are when we quote you and your words. And God, I pray we wouldn't miss it right now. And may we bless you in our commitment to you. Lord, you deserve it. You're worthy of us giving our life to you and living with you and for you. And may we see that today in Jesus' name. Amen. See, one of my concerns is that I think people sometimes just don't get it. They just don't get it. I don't know if you heard about a, a Catholic priest that had gone into a town and he was used by God to do amazing things. 
And he served there 25 years. And in 25 years, the church became the heart and soul of the community in lots of ways. One is in people really connecting with God. Uh, and the other is in helping those who are under-resourced and, and responding to one another and, and becoming kinder. And, and people noticed a real transformation that went beyond the church's walls into the community. And when he was ready to retire, they didn't want to lose him. But they decided they wanted to honor this man. And he didn't want him to. He said, that's not what I'm about. He's a very humble man. He said, I don't need a big honor. I just, I just want you to know I love you. And, and everybody had to. And they decided, there's no way. And, and even the other priest said, you've got to let the town do this for you. It's meaningful to them. So the day came and there was a huge convention center and it's packed with people, with tables everywhere, a huge banquet. And he walks in and not only is it crowded, it's overflowing. More people are coming than they're supposed to be there. And they're letting them in because they want everybody to be a part of this. And then they start into the day and the mayor gets up and proclaims a day in this man's honor and thanks him for what he's done. Uh, people get up and give testimony at times he helped them in their lives. Uh, other people stand up and they're just going on and on and on and he's getting more embarrassed. And finally, they would say, and we want to thank you, Father Bob. And he comes walking up, thunderous standing ovation. And he gets up there and he says, please, please. He said, I just want you to know it's all glory goes to God and to his son, Jesus Christ. I want you to know that. I, I want you to know I love you. I care about you. But I want you to know when I first came here, I wasn't sure this is the place that God wanted me to be. And I wasn't sure I wanted to be here. As a matter of fact, I walked in kind of feeling lost and I'm sitting in the, the confessional wondering what's going on and the first person to come in to give me confession sits down and it's a man and he tells me, forgive me father for I have sinned because I'm cheating on my wife with my secretary but on top of that I also have a mistress that I actually have set up in a, in a condominium and bought it for her and father I sinned even worse because I've stolen money from my company and they don't know about it to pay for my mistress and to pay for my secretary and, and, and father I've sinned in this and, and I can't seem to stop and, 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 he, and the father said when I walked out of that confessional I thought, if this is what this town is like, this is the last place I want to be. He says, but you've proved me wrong. You've proved to be a community that is loving and caring and seeks holiness, and I want you to know that. Well, what had happened now, all of a sudden, is he's getting ready to sit down there, give him a standing ovation, and, and the senator from their state comes running in. He got held up at the airport, and he wanted to be there. And he sees it's not too late, and he runs up on the stage, and he goes, I'm sorry I'm late, but Father Bob, you know how much I care about you. I consider us close friends. Many of you don't know this. I'm the very first person he took confession from. <laughs> yeah, some people don't get it. Or maybe they're going to get it. Anyway, um, what I want you to grab hold of, though, is that uh, uh, God has called you to live an amazing life. Now, I'm not kidding about that. We say that a lot because it's true. Your life should be so incredible that you ought to walk around and say, I can't believe it. God keeps doing things beyond, beyond that whatever I can imagine or ask or think. That's what it's like to live with God. That's the normal Christian life. That's the level four life. And, and God says, I want to do things in your life that are so incredible that eye has not seen, nor ear heard, nor has it ever entered into your heart or imagination. All the things God says I have for you because I love you so much, that's the life you're meant to live. But the problem we're seeing is so few people live it. There's an old saying that's, that I think is true. It's that it's not that, it's not that Christianity has been tried and found wanting. The problem is it has not been tried at all. It's not that level four isn't an amazing place to live. It's that few people live there. I'm going to get the numbers a little bit wrong, but they're going to be close. George Barna, and I shared this a few weeks ago. 
said that 73%, I think that's the number, of people in the United States claim to have had a conversion born-again experience. He says, but only 7%, only 7% practice their faith in any meaningful way at all. And, and you know what? That gets scary. Because that's not, number one, what God wants for you. But number two is if that person's not practicing that faith, we got to ask a lot of questions about how serious and sincere they are in their relationship with God. And that's what I want you to grab. And if you're not living the most amazing life ever, then something's wrong. Something's been left out, and it's not God's fault. Look at Matthew chapter 28. This is the, the Great Commission. And look what Jesus says here in Matthew chapter 28 as he gives what... Uh, uh, is a calling for every believer. By the way, Dallas Willard wrote a book called The Great Omission. It's a play on the word commission. And it's the great omission. Something's been left out. And it's vital. And, and, and we need to understand that. And by the way, uh, Dallas Willard, who's a professor at USC, an amazing Christian man, he'll be preaching here on February 15th. Because uh, I, I want you to hear him. And he's going to be talking about this. But listen to what it says Jesus said. Matthew chapter 28, starting in verse 18. And Jesus came up and spoke to them saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I command you. And lo, I am with you always to the end of the age. What is it that's been left out? Disciple. Disciple. Let me say this again. Many of you already know it. Nowhere in the Bible are we told to go make Christians. Nowhere in the Bible. But we are told to make disciples. And, and the idea that someone can be a Christian and not a disciple is a foreign concept in Scripture. It's not there. It's a facade. It's a mimic. Let me say this. It's a lie. And when someone says, well, you know, I'm a Christian and I want to become a disciple, well, something's missing. You either are a disciple or you're not. And you need to understand, that's the great calling God has. And the great omission we've made, and by the way, it's mainly a United States thing. It doesn't happen in Indonesia. It doesn't happen in China. It doesn't happen in South Korea, North Korea. It's really something we got here. Is this easy believism. This says, well, I believe in God and everything's fine. And I don't have to follow him to be his. And Jesus has never, ever seen anything like that. He speaks against it constantly. And we got to grab hold of that. And that's the great omission that's happened. And that's why so few people are living this amazing life that God has for them. Look what he says in verse 19. Go, therefore, and make disciples. And that's our goal. Let me say this as clearly as I can. Our goal here for our Crossroads family, me and you and everybody included, is every single one of us 100% sold out for Jesus Christ. 99% will not do. Uh, you know, if I was a, a husband and walked up to my wife and said, honey, I'm going to be faithful to you 99% of the time. Would that be okay? Why would we think anything less for Jesus? He gave everything for me. I want to give everything for him. He gave everything for you. I want you to experience a life where you give everything to him. And what that means. And that's our goal here. 100% commitment for every single person in our family. And notice what it says in verse 20. We want to teach to observe all things that he has commanded us. Not some things. Nothing left out. And the goal is, is that we have this all out commitment for him. But to understand this, we have to understand what the word disciple means. Uh, it comes from the word discipline or to be disciplined. And I want to say this, and I really please don't miss this part. My goal, our goal as a leadership, Frank, everybody on the eldership, our goal as pastors is for you to be a disciple of Jesus and Jesus only. 
And we're not trying to, uh, no one's going to be my disciple. Matter of fact, the last thing I want you to do is be like me. <laughs> you might say, well, Paul said it. Well, I'm not Paul. And, uh, you know, but I want you to be like Christ. And that's what you're called to. We don't want to get anybody in the way of that. Discipleship is all about being a disciple of Jesus. And it's to be lived a disciplined life according to his standard. To live your life according to who he is. That's what the word means. It literally means a pupil, a student, or a learner. In other words, it's, it's the idea of you coming to Jesus and saying, I want you to be the teacher of my life, the master of my life. I want to be a pupil under you. My goal is to be like Jesus. Your goal is to be like Jesus. And that's what Jesus said it meant to be. Matthew 10, if you're not there, turn over with me to Matthew chapter 10. And look what he says in verse 24. Matthew 10, verse 24. And then, by the way, we're going to jump to Matthew 7 in just a second. But look what Jesus said. He says this, a disciple is not above his teacher, nor a slave above his master. It is enough for the disciple to become like his teacher and a slave to be like his master. Do you see, that's the goal of discipleship, that you're like Jesus. He says, that's what I want you to do. He says, I want you to be like me. And Jesus said, I want to live a life so close with you that that's what begins to happen in you. But there are requirements for discipleship. It's not for everybody. And we're going to see in a minute there are three requirements for discipleship. And I want you to key in on a phrase we're going to be repeating from Jesus, not from me. Jesus is on three separate occasions going to say, if you don't fulfill this requirement, you cannot be my disciple. Now, I don't want you to miss that. This is vitally important to understanding the true message of the Bible, the true message of Jesus. He said, if you don't do these three things, not one of the three, you got to do all three. You cannot be my disciple. Now, what that means, are you ready? Is the way of discipleship is the way of the narrow way. It's, it's the narrow way. I said that wrong. The way of discipleship is the narrow way. It's the way of the few. By the way, I need to have you grab this. When you are in a walk with Christ, it's not a walk in the park. It's a walk to the cross. And it's walk with the cross. And we have to understand that. And it's the narrow way and few find it. Hopefully you'll be in Matthew chapter 7. But I want you to listen to Luke chapter 13 verse 24. Strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. Now this gets really scary. He said many people are going to say, okay, I don't want to just explore. I'm ready to conversion. I'm going to seek for this, but they're never going to make it. Now, it means they, they actually aren't here even. They're going to seek to get there, but they're not going to enter. Many, many, many will say, I want to be a Christian, and they're going to not end up truly being one who belongs to Christ, is what the word Christian means. And, and that's the teachings of Jesus. Now, why is that? Look over at Matthew chapter 7, verse 13. It says, enter through the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction, and there are many who enter through it. For the gate is small, and the way is narrow that leads to life, and there are few that find it. See, when you understand the teaching of Scripture, it's the way of the few. Now, I want to say this. It's not that God doesn't want someone. God wants everybody. It's whosoever would really, truly believe in him can be saved, can enter this relationship. It's, it's open to everybody. That's why in Romans 10 it says, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord, you have a choice in it. But the question is, is he really going to be Lord? And this idea that we can just kind of throw out a flippant prayer and that be it, that's not true. The truth is, real faith is going to be seen. Jesus said, we'll know it by its fruits. And the, the prayer is important if it's prayed with meaning. 
If it's sincere. If it's something you're actually saying and now going to go and do. And that's why James warns, don't just be a hearer of the word, be a doer of the word. And we got to be people. Now, I really want to make this point. So I'm not saying, I am not saying that level four commitment's a life of, of, of based on work salvation. In other words, we're not up there to earn it. What we're doing, we're living for God because we love him. Discipleship isn't the idea of works. Discipleship is the idea of being like Jesus mimicking his lifestyle, wanting to have him be the one who guides and directs us. We live our lives according to his pattern. And it's born out of a deep felt belief in God that's real and alive. And so what are the requirements that we need to follow? Turn to Luke chapter 14 and let's look at the words of Jesus. Luke 14. And I want you to be in verse 25. Luke 14 verse 25. And notice what the Lord says here. He says, now large crowds were going along with him, and he turned and said to them, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, notice this, he cannot be my disciple. Now, now that's heavy. And it's as shocking as it is to hear it now, it was just as shocking then. And I want to tell you that we need to understand what he was saying, but I also want to warn this, don't apologize for it. Now clearly he's not saying he doesn't want you to love your mother and father. Because we're told in scripture to honor them, we're told to love our wives, to love our children. But you know what Jesus is saying? He says, I want to shock you. I want you to understand how big a commitment we're talking about. If you don't hate your mother and father your wife and children, and even your own life. If, in other words, you don't have such an amazing love for me that, that those pale in comparison, then you cannot be my disciple. So what is the first requirement? It's a right perspective on relationships. It's a right perspective on relationships. And notice what Jesus says in Matthew 10, verse 37. He who loves father and mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son and daughter more than me is not worthy of me. He says, I gotta, I gotta get this across to you. If you don't love me most, if you don't love me with everything you have, if you don't love me, and for us who are parents, I think maybe this is the toughest one. If you don't love me more than your own children, then you can't be my disciple. Now, here's, I do wanna say, and this is true. If I love Jesus more than I love Pam, guess what? I'm gonna end up loving Pam more than I ever loved her in my life. If I love Jesus more than I love Tim or Rich, my sons, I'm going to end up loving uh, uh, them more than I would have ever loved them. Because the truth of the matter is, is I, when I get this right, my love deepens. My love becomes more intentional and more sincere and, and more channeled. So it doesn't mean you're going to not love your kids. It doesn't mean you're not going to love your wife or your parents. As a matter of fact, you're going to love them in a deeper way. But Jesus said, if you don't love me first and most, you're never going to get there. And by the way, he says, you can't be my disciple if you don't. In Luke chapter 9, if you could turn there, look what happens. It says, Jesus said to another, follow me. But he said, Lord, permit me first to go and bury my father. But Jesus said to him, allow the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, you go and proclaim everywhere the kingdom of God. Another also said, I will follow you, Lord. But first permit me to say goodbye to those who are at home. And Jesus said to him, no one, after putting his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. Now, Jesus can't be clearer on this. 
The bottom line is, do you love him more than anyone or anything? And we need to understand that. When an attorney came and sat before him and said, Lord, what is the greatest expectation, greatest commandment that God gives? And the answer was this in Matthew 22, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your mind and all your soul. Not with part of it. Not with some of it. It's an all out 100% commitment. If someone says, well, you know what? I'm going to give part of my life to God. Guess what? I, I, he loves you, but he doesn't want it. It's all or nothing. And, and that's why Jesus said in Luke 6, 46, he goes, why do you call me Lord? Lord, and not do what I say. If you're not going to follow me, if you're not going to do what I say, you've missed everything. Soren Kierkegaard is one of my favorite philosophers. And Kierkegaard was bothered back in his time, like Dallas Willard is today, and many of us are, with a wrong view of Christianity. It's actually the counterfeit. As a matter of fact, someone said about Soren Kierkegaard, he was trying to smuggle Christianity back into the church. Because they had lost it. And you know what his thing was, is they, they've lost the idea that purity of heart is to will one thing. He wrote a book called that. Purity of heart is to will one thing. And you know what that one thing is? It's total devotion to Jesus Christ. Listen to what Kierkegaard said. This may not grab you, it grabbed me. It's kind of a prayer. He says, Father in heaven, what is man without you? What is all that he knows? The vast accumulation though it be, it is but a chipped fragment if he does not know you. With all his strivings, could it even encompass a world, but it would be half finished if we do not know you. You, the one, you, art, the one thing. You who are all in all. I don't know if you get it, what Kierkegaard was saying, is it doesn't matter if I know all knowledge, if I don't know you, Lord, it's a fragment, it's a chip, it's a life that doesn't have meaning. Lord, if I'm not totally devoted to you, then you know what, Lord, everything else comes and begins to pale from what it was always meant to be. Here's where we're going. Don't miss this. Jesus is telling us something super important, and he's saying this, if you love me with all your heart, you're going to live the life I always called for you to live. You're going to be the person I want you to be. And you're going to experience significance and amazing things. But if you leave that out, that wasn't what you were designed for. Everybody here, God's plan for you was to be a totally, truly committed disciple. And that's what he designed for you to be. And when you grab that, it's everything. Kierkegaard said this, and he really is right. You cannot understand the calling of Christ if you do not remember two things, two things more than any other, one is Abraham and Isaac, and the other is a father who sent his only begotten son to the cross. It's the story of two children, and it's the story of two fathers who were willing to say that God's high calling is even more important than their children's lives. Now, we would never want you to hurt your kids. Clearly, God doesn't want you to. But let me say this. God, to test Abraham, said, do you love Isaac most? And he said, I love Isaac more than anything. He says, then you put him on the altar. And, and, and if you don't understand that Abraham had to actually physically put him on the altar, and then God said, now you, I, I, now you know. Now it's true. If the one thing you would love more than God's not put on the altar, I'm going to say this, put it on it. Now, he ends up getting Isaac back in an incredible way, but you've got to be willing to say, nothing in my life is more important than this, or you cannot be his disciple. And God the Father proved his love for us when he put his son on the cross. He gave everything for us, so he asked for nothing less than for us to give everything back to him. So that's the first thing. Now, the second thing we have to have is not only the right perspective on relationships, we have to have right priorities in our life. Look back at Luke 14, verse 27. Luke 14, verse 27. It says, Whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. 
And, and, and you got to grab a hold of that. Now, in the days that Jesus said it, right away they knew what that meant. A cross, he hadn't even gone to the cross yet. But when he says, if you won't carry your own cross, a, a person who was convicted of a crime carried their own cross to their death. It was a sign that they were dying, a sign that they were being literally going to be killed. And Jesus said, if you're not willing to die to yourself, then you're never going to live the way you need to. You see, the truth of the matter is this. Very few of us need to put our children on the altar. Do you know who the, we really need to put on the altar is us? It's because we're so selfish and self-seeking, and we want everything about us. And we live in a selfish, self-seeking world. And Jesus said, if you won't kill that and put that aside, you cannot be my disciple. You cannot be my disciple, he says. Did you see those words? Listen to Luke 9, 23, if you can turn there. And Jesus was saying to them all, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily, daily and follow me. Daily. You see, the truth of the matter is, is that we've got to understand that not only do we have to have the right perspective on relationships, we have to arrive at the right priorities on our lives and say that I am going to serve God first and foremost. And nothing matters more to me than saying to God, what do you want me to do? Not my will, but yours be done. So I want to be a servant, God. You see, we live in a society today that has these as the priorities. Most people believe in God, but they think that the priorities in life ought to be you first, others second, and God third. You've heard the lie, and it's a huge lie. I just heard it on TV recently. And here's the lie. Are you ready? If I don't take care of me, if I'm not happy, then no one else is going to be happy. So I've got to start with making sure I'm happy, and then other people can be happy. I just heard a very famous talk show host who thinks she's the most spiritual person in the world say that. You, can you guess who it was? She's wrong. She's wrong. Uh, I, I know I've shared this one before, but I had a woman one time walk up to me, and she began to talk about a, 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 an incredible life change she was about to make, and I'm, I'm trying to question her on why she's about to do this, and she looks at me and says, well, you know what? I've learned that I have to take care of me first, because if I don't take care of me, no one's going to take care of me, and she said, I've learned if I'm not happy, then nobody's happy, and I looked her right in the eye and said, I've got to be honest with you. If you're not happy, I'm fine. I, uh, I really am. You could be miserable. I, I hate to tell you this. I'm going to have a great day. And uh, <laughs> did, did you hear the beginning of what she said? If I don't take care of me, no one will. You know what a disciple says? God will take care of me so nothing else matters. See, there's a difference there. And if life's all about you, you've missed the point. Jesus said, you cannot be my disciple if you're not going to turn this over to me and trust me the way you should. And, and I got to tell you, a lot of people seem to miss this. And I, I've had people come up and say, oh my God, I really did. This guy really actually came to me. He said, Chuck, I'm afraid that if I commit to do God's will wholeheartedly, he's going to make me marry somebody ugly. <laughs> I was so tempted to say, well, do you think that you're a real that great a catch? You know, I mean, but, but, but you know what? I, and I thought, you've got to be kidding me. Do you think that God is up there going, oh, good, now they're committed. I want to make their lives miserable. Is that what God's doing? No, he says, I want to make your life more incredible than you can imagine. Not easy, not easy. We want to get away from that. Amazing, significant. I, I want to put you in relationships that are deeper and matter more than you can know. I, the last thing God's going to do is put you into this thing, and you're going to go, oh, I hate this. Uh, a lot of people say, but if I'm that all-out committed, I'll have to go on the mission field and be a missionary. And I want to say there's some of you here that may happen to you. 
We just sent out our first couple. There's others who may get called for here. But I, I, I don't really believe God's going to call all of us. Some of you might. But there were two brothers who really fought about this. They literally fought about it. One's name was Jonathan. The other was named David. And when they were growing up, they both made commitments to God. But Jonathan said that his goal in life was to be wealthy and influential. He thought that was the real measure of success. David, his brother, said, no, I really believe that what I need to do is just ask God what he wants me to do and follow that. And his brother said, you're always going to regret that. And they actually fought on it. They, they've written about this. Well, Jonathan does go on to be an amazing success and make tons of money. David ended up feeling called to be a medical doctor. And in the fourth year, the last year of his medical training, he felt God calling him to Africa to be a medical missionary. And he left. He stayed 37 years. He ended up dying there. And I think you know him. His name is David Livingston. Anybody here of Jonathan Livingston? Maybe Jonathan Livingston Siegel? I don't know. Uh, did you know, it, if you turn in the Cyclopedia Britannica, Jonathan Livingston is not even mentioned. But in the 1950s, before he was even deleted, he's been deleted, it said Jonathan Livingston, the brother of David Livingston. And you know what Jonathan Livingston said in the last years of his life after his brother died? He said he gave up everything for God and he got everything. Oh, would I have loved to live his life. Oh, would I have loved to be who he was. He said, my brother taught me what it really meant to live when he gave everything up for God. And so Jonathan Livingston bought his own tombstone and on his tombstone it says, Jonathan Livingston, the brother of David Livingston. His only claim to fame is that he was related to somebody who was sold out for God. And I want to tell you something. I don't know what God's going to call you to do, but you can trust him with it. He's calling you to live a life where you walk around going, this is greater than I could ask or think. This is beyond my imagination. And I get amazed, God, about what you do. It's not always big things, it's little things. But a life lived with God is one that matters. And that's what we need to grab a hold of. We need to say, I want this more than anything. Uh, Billy Graham said one time there was a student who was asking, Dr. Graham, what can I do to really fulfill what God wants? He said, well, you pray about it. And so the student walked in, and he had a notepad, and, and he, he started writing out all the things he wanted to accomplish, and he laid them up on a communion table, and he sat there and said, God, would you please, please move, please guide this, please make these things happen. Uh, what he would do for his career, or who he would marry, all this is written on a piece of paper. And he said, I want my life to count. God, would you really bless this? And all of a sudden, he said he just got so struck that he walked over, took the paper, ripped it up, threw it on the ground, took a blank piece of paper and said, God, I'm sorry, you write out the list and I'll live it. You do this. Now, it's not wrong to ask for things, but you got to get the priorities right. You got to get the order right. We start by saying, God, what do you want? How can I serve you? How can I live for you? And Jesus said, if you don't live that way, if you don't live that way, you cannot be my disciple. Uh, uh, Greg Laurie said it this way, we can't see, say the words, thy kingdom come, until we'll say, my kingdom go. Luke 14, Jesus says this. Don't miss this one. So then, none of you can be my disciples. Now, did you catch this? No, but you can't be my disciple. None of you can be my disciples who does not give up all his own possessions. None of us can be his disciple if we will not give up all of his own possessions. If you're not in Luke 14, we're gonna read that in context in a minute. Make sure you're there. But I want to say this clearly. He said, you know what? You've got to have the right perspective on relationships. Love me more than anything. You've got to have the, the right 
priorities in life, you live for me more than anything. And then he says, you know what? You gotta have the right view of possessions. That God, I would give everything I have to you. I'm not gonna hold back. Everything, everything, everything is yours. That means, you know what, God? My house is yours. God, my car is yours. And I think the vast majority of us would say, you can have that car, Lord, it's yours. And, uh, you know, and, and he says, you know, God says that my wife is yours. My kids are yours. And that's how I see it, God. And, and, and I'm gonna live my life believing that everything that I have is yours. And I'm gonna treat it that way. And Jesus said, if you don't do that, you've missed out on what it means. Look at chapter 14, verses 28 to 35. It says this. For which of you, when he builds a tower, does not first sit down and calculate the cost to see if he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid the foundation and is not able to finish, all who observe it begin to ridicule him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, when he sets out to meet another king in battle, will not first sit down and consider whether he is strong enough with 10,000 men to encounter one coming against him with 20,000. Or else, while the other is still far away, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. Now notice verse 33. So then, none of you can be my disciples who does not give up his own possessions. Therefore, salt is good, but even if the salt has become tasteless, with what will it be seasoned? It is useless, either for the soil or for the manure pile. It is thrown out, and then the last words are super important. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Jesus said, it is vital you do not miss this message. It is vital that you don't understand, that that you misunderstand and think you can come to me with anything less than everything. It is vital that you get, I'm serious about this, so much so that in Luke 9 verse 57 it says, as they were going down the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, the foxes have holes and the birds of the air have a nest, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. He was saying no. The guy goes, I'll follow you anywhere. And he said, no you won't because you think the life's going to be easy. You don't understand there's difficult times. You don't understand the narrow way. You don't understand it means carrying a cross. So guess what? You're not, you're not going to be able to go. You can say you want it. You can even say you're seeking after it. But it's not yours because I know your heart. And I know you're not going to live it out. In Luke 9, 23 to 25, it says, And Jesus was saying to them, uh, saying to them all, saying to them all, If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily. And follow me. Forever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake, he is the one who will save it. For what is man profited if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? See, Jesus said, if you don't get it, I'm offering you everything, but you've got to give up everything. And he says, don't you understand, this is the only way it can work. And you cannot be my disciple. You cannot live this life if you won't. And he says, so count the cost. Are you ready to do it? But I want to say this, and you got to can't miss this. Greg Glory said, and I love Greg Glory. Greg Glory said, we need to count the cost of discipleship, but we also need to count the cost of not committing to discipleship. He says, do you think about it? You, if you don't do this, you're missing out on the greatest life you could ever live. I got to ask you a question. What have you given up for God that you go, oh man, that was so hard. Let me tell you some things I gave up. Before I gave my life to Christ, I didn't have a high value on faithfulness in relationships. That's horrible, but it's true. And so guess what I gave up? I gave up having an affair. I gave up having a divorce. I gave up leaving my children fatherless. I gave up being lonely. I gave up hurting people in deep ways like that. Do you think that's a bad thing to give up? And you know what? Today, what I have with Pam is amazing. 
Coming home to her is the most incredible thing ever. She's the most beautiful, wonderful, incredible woman to be around. And every day I sit with her, I think, God, the only reason I have what I have today is because I put him first and decided to live for him. And that means I'm going to love my wife the way I'm supposed to. And you know what I got out of it? I got an incredible marriage with an amazing woman, and I definitely don't deserve her. It's one of those gifts from God. I'm always amazed that it says, he who finds a wife finds a gift from the Lord. And, and in the Bible, nowhere it says the husband is. But, you know, and... and um, you know, it, it just, it, you get that. You know, I, I, I got amazing friendships. I have a, a amazing people to be around. I, I get to do amazing things. And by the way, it's not, it's for all of us. And, and so what have I given up? Well, you know, I would, I can't even imagine how life could be any better than it is. And it keeps getting better. And so you got to ask that question. That's why it does say that if you're living the life you should, eye has not seen nor ear heard, nor has it ever entered into your imagination or heart what God has prepared for those who love him. And then it says God reveals them to you through the power of the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 2, 9 and 10 is to be a life that we all live. Uh, uh, you know what it's like? It's like you're trying to get around Corona on a skateboard. And man, we have a lot of hills to go up. And, and you're thinking, okay, it's not bad. You know, it maybe beats walking and sometimes it's fun, but other times it's grueling, but it's trying to get around town like that. And then you go to Jesus and Jesus said, I want you to go. And you go, Lord, I'll take my skateboard and go. And he looks at you and says, will you give up your skateboard? And you say, ah, I've had the skateboard a long time. He goes, will you give it to me? And you say, okay, here's the skateboard. And the Lord reaches in his pockets and throws you some keys to a brand new Ford F-150 with leather interior, heated seats. And it has that cool step up thing on the back. So you can put your stuff in easy and you're going and he goes yeah it's all your and you're oh oh well, do you want the f-150 or the skateboard and you know what is he says that's what i want you to do uh it's kind of like you know that jesus goes are you ready to give me everything and you say yeah and he goes i want your house and you go okay god and and then all of a sudden you're laying in bed and you're this loud pounding and tearing and you wake up and you go running in and jesus is tearing down the mantle on your wall and ripping into your 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 interior and he's knocking down boards and you look at him and go lord what are you doing he said, I'm a carpenter. And, uh, and, and, and he says, I've got to cover. You just go to work. And you go to work and you come home. And, and because it's Jesus and he's God and man, and also because Jesus delivers on time, uh, uh, he doubles the size of your living room. And you're standing there and it's gorgeous and higher and beautiful. And he, and he goes, I wanted you to have this because now that the house is mine, I want it to be a place of love. And I want you to have great times together and great fellowship for your family and friends. And by the way, let me show you what I got you. And he opens it up. You have a 123-inch HD TV there. And you're going, what's that? I thought we weren't supposed to be materialistic. He goes, no, no, no. You can own it. It can't own you. And I want you to watch the Super Bowl and see Kurt Warner win in the last seconds. And uh, I do know there are some Steeler fans here, and we, we do love you. And uh, <laughs> that's okay. Anyway, uh, uh, you know what? And, 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 and he says, but I want you to invite people over, and, and I want you to share in deep fellowship. Time. And that's how, and you're going, oh, that's what I get out of this. And then all of a sudden, you're standing there looking, and then you're as loud tearing, and you run in, and he's ripping your kitchen apart. And you're going, what are you doing? Lord, I, I mean, I, I got those at the secondhand Caesar outlet. And all of a sudden, this truck pulls up. And out comes a stainless steel refrigerator and new stove. And he goes, man, I just want you to really. And, and you know what? It's not the materialism. That's what it means with Jesus. And think about what you're missing. Because I'll tell you from a personal testimony, and this is from a man who has lots of imperfections and lost a time of struggle, that I can't imagine being blessed the way I'm blessed by him. And the only reason he does it is out of his love, but he also won't do it unless I'm willing to commit. And God has that for you. So I want to ask you today, are you ready 
if you are not already to be a disciple. Many of you are. Uh, but, but if you're not all out committed, if you're not saying, I want everything for God and I want to get everything from God, if you're not there, what I want to ask you to do is, are you willing now to say yes to that? Some of you today, you need to do it for the very first time. Uh, you're at this point of exploring and you're saying, okay, I get it. I now know what it means to be a Christian. I want to be converted. I want him to change me. And it's what he does in you as you open up to it. How does this happen? The Bible says you call on the name of the Lord. In other words, you pray. It, it, that's what call means there. You, you talk to God about it. And in a moment, I'm going to lead a prayer where I'm going to ask people who want to commit their life to Christ completely to say to him, I know I have sin. And I know you love me and I know you died to cleanse me of it. And I now want to be healed in my hurts. I want to be cleansed in my sin. I want to be made alive and made new. And I want to be everything, everything, Lord, you want me to be. And I want to live the life you have for me to live. And I'm in, I'm in, take me. And we're going to ask you to pray those words. And if you've never prayed them and meant them, today, today you can say yes to God. But some people, what's happened is they prayed that prayer and they started up into here. And, and, and maybe they were even here for a while and something happened. Maybe you, you got caught up in things you shouldn't or maybe life just began to overwhelm you. Jesus said one of the biggest ways people fall from here is the worries of this life. And you're not living in an intimate, intimate, close relationship with him. And Jesus looks at you and says this. He says, oh, I want you back. He always wants you back. If you've ever wondered, will God take me back? Let me tell you, oh, more than ever, the only time God runs is when someone takes a step to him, the Bible says he runs to you. And he'll throw his arms around you. And you might even say, I don't deserve it. And he goes, that didn't matter. I couldn't love you more than I do. And the whole idea behind this, by the way, don't miss, is it's not just lordship, it's, it's, it's fatherhood. He wants to adopt you. And if for some reason you've wandered away, let me tell you, he wants you back so badly. He loves you, he cares about you. And what we're gonna ask you to do is to pray that prayer again. It's interesting, in the book of Revelation, the, the person who was lukewarm, Jesus said, it makes me sick you're lukewarm. Not because he doesn't love him, it makes me sick because you're missing out on so much. You're not up there and you could be. You're not on fire. And so he says, why don't you turn around? Why don't you give your life back to me? Why don't you? And he's saying this to a Christian. Come back. And how do we do it? Well, we, we pray the prayer again. Not to become a Christian again. We pray it to recommit ourselves to what we always knew was true. So we're about to pray right now. I'm going to ask this. This is the most important time in the service. So I'm going to say from now until after people have had a chance to come forward to make commitments. I'm going to ask that you don't leave. I'm going to ask you to stay right where you're at because we don't want to distract from this moment. You know, you can leave later when we're done with that. But, but we really want to take time to give people a chance to say yes to Jesus or recommit to him. So we're going to go to prayer. And I'm going to ask all of you who are right with God to pray, pray, pray on behalf of those who need to make this decision. Let's go to God in prayer. Father, we praise you and thank you for the way you love us and care for us. And Lord, the fact that you would even say, follow me. What an amazing invitation for us to live life with you, to live life for you. And I pray that this church family would be known as a family that, that we're not holier than thou, but we're all out committed to living for you and to loving for you and to serving you and to being who you want us to be and, and, and loving and caring and living the lives you want us to live. That the deep joy is here for us, even in the midst of hard times. Lord, that peace that passes understanding guards our life that, Lord, our relationship with you and others is amazing. And I pray that for every person who's a part of this family. And, Father, I want to pray and ask right now that you would send your Holy Spirit into this room. 
I pray, Lord, that you would, you would literally cause your spirit to descend and to touch and to move on each one of us, but especially, Lord, on the person today who needs to commit or recommit their life to you. May they feel a stirring inside them. May they know that this is their time. May they sense your love. And I pray for every man who needs to make this commitment, for every woman who needs to make this commitment, for every guy, for every girl. God, I pray now would be their time. And all around the building, there are people over here and over here and, and right there. Praise God for you. God sees every one of you right there too. He knows your name. So let's just lift this prayer together. Just whisper these words. Right now, if God's touching you, just say this to him. Say, Lord Jesus, I know you love me. And I know you died on the cross to forgive me of my sins, to heal me of my hurts, to cleanse me completely, to make me alive, to make me new, and to make me yours. And I say yes. I want this. And I want you. So I open my heart to you. Please fill me with your love and fill me with your spirit and help me be who you have always created me to be and to live the life you have for me to live. And this I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Wow, praise God for that. Wow, man, praise God for every one of you.